0: This is Nathan Holiday, and welcome to another episode of the Gym Mastery Podcast, the place to be for success-oriented gym owners looking for an edge. Listen to great conversations with super smart gym owners, entrepreneurs, and professionals who are changing the game. Today we have John Harris, and after working for a notable guitar manufacturer for close to 13 years, John saw the value and personal fulfillment in coaching others to be the best version of themselves through the vessel of CrossFit. John decided to move back to his hometown and start a totally new life designed around opening a gym, having full autonomy with his time, and removing almost all financial obligations by being debt-free. We have a great conversation, so let's get right to the show. John, um, so great man to have you on the show. Sean Buck, you know Sean, he uh, my partner in Lovell Method, uh, and he was just out visiting you Um, and after I was talking to him, you know, we, we have these meetings every week and we're talking and I was super excited to get you on here so we could chat about business, uh, chat about life and whatever else, uh, comes up. So let's hop in and just start with a little bit of your personal history. You know, I've read through, I'm, I'm, familiar with it, but I think just to familiarize everyone with how you got sort of where you are today, like as a gym owner in business and all of that. Sure.
1: Um, Well, I started my adult life a little earlier than most. Uh, I had my first child when I was uh, 16 years old and I was uh, graciously put out of the house by my dad. Everything's cool now. We're, We're on good terms and all that, but I had to grow up really quick and there was not a lot of opportunity or time to be selfish in what I wanted out of life. You know, you just gotta start paying bills and stuff. Moved around quite a bit, got settled back in the Nashville area, started working for uh, Gibson Guitar for a long time, almost 13 years. And I just, you know, the typical blue collar daily grind. Um, I was also a pretty small guy. I was like 130 pounds, like skin and bones. And I kind of dealt with a lot of insecurities, self-esteem issues and all that. And me and a friend of mine, actually Ryan Stemper from Whole Strength CrossFit, who okay. turned me on to Level Method. We'll get into that too. Um, but we kind of found CrossFit together. We started doing it together in his basement. Um, you, you know the story. You invite friends. You get three or four people. Then you got 20 people coming to your basement. And you're like, well, maybe we should do this thing for real. And we started Whole Strength CrossFit. That was – that had to have been – 2012, 2013-ish. And um, at the time, things were going well. And Ryan, I'm sure he has no problem in mentioning any of this stuff. We, we definitely learned from a lot of mistakes. And uh, luckily, I got to take those lessons when I ended up moving back to my hometown and opening my gym. Um, there was no, that was not the reason that I moved back. What the real reason was is I went through a pretty nasty divorce. I had three kids at this time. And my wife and I at the time, it was it was probably as bad as you could get. There was about a year's period where I had no idea what the daily plan was for anything. I had two kids that were in school, one that was in daycare. Um, we were living in the Nashville area. And everything was just kind of, you know, there... <laughs> there was not much good happening in life at that moment. So that's when I, I had this time to reflect and figure out you know, what did I want out of my life. And at this point, I think i had been coaching CrossFit for about a year, officially, unofficially, probably close to two years. Um, so I, I knew that I was getting a lot of satisfaction and fulfillment. I felt like I had a purpose when I was coaching. But I was not feeling much of that with my, you know, corporate gig, as they say. Um, So I I wanted to figure out what do I actually want. And I knew that I wanted to spend as much or I wanted to be as accessible as possible to my own kids, to my wife, and not be burdened with the typical like keeping up with the Joneses type of, you know, first world Western experience that we have. So I needed to figure out what that was and what was my absolute minimum requirement for survival mm. so, so, I could, so I could start a gym and do what I love and not have to worry about making sure I make this amount per year. What is the bare minimum that I could survive on so I wouldn't be worried about how much money is the gym taking in and how much do I have to pay for this stuff? And that? it was a total reset. It was an absolute total back to zero um i met my wife now and the plan was you know we have three options and and you tell me which one you like and one of them was um we can have an awesome wedding and then have an eh, so whatever honeymoon and then you know go about our life or we can have a so-so wedding an awesome honeymoon and then get on with our lives. Or we can have a basically non-existent elopement for a wedding, no no honeymoon at all. And then we open a gym and we buy a house. And she was all about the third option. So that's when I knew it was a winner winner. So <laughs> we, we took off with that. We focused for about three years paying off some personal debt that I had that I did not know that I had, as sometimes happens when you're married. Um, So we spent, yeah, about two and a half, maybe three years paying off some personal debt. And we knew, I knew that I wanted my kids to go to Sumner County Schools, which is just north of Nashville, kind of out of the city. And I knew that I wanted to work in Sumner County, technically Gallatin is where we're at, obviously. I wanted to work in Gallatin. I wanted my kids to be in Gallatin. I want to be done with the hour commute to work because I want to get back my time. You know, one hour commute means two hours of driving, means probably close to three hours getting ready for work or winding down from work. Um, So it's a lot of time suck. And I just wanted to be rid of all that. So we bought this really cheap fixer-upper house that had shag carpet and felt wallpaper all over it when we bought it. And I had about, I think I had about $13,000 saved up. And that's how I opened my first, well, still the
0: same location, but opened the first gym. And here we are today. Not too long ago, Chris Cooper and I did a live stream into the world-famous Gym Owners United Group on Facebook. And in that stream, I went over three factors that will make your gym even more amazing. And these three factors are extremely important. And I built a little assessment that I'd love to give you. You know, we're all about assessments. And it'll show you exactly how you stack up and where there might be room for improvement in your gym. So go to levelmethod.com slash factors to watch the stream and download the assessment. Man, that's, uh, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff baked <laughs> into that. And I, oh, I'm yeah. not, I don't know exactly where to start, but, you know, coming all the way back, you know, so you had your first kid when you were 16. And I think that, you know, that's a, you know, a unique and Sort of trying thing. So, t- how did that work? So, you had your kid, and then what happened over the next few years? You know, like were you did you sh- start working? Were you in school? Like, what happened?
1: Uh, well, when when my girlfriend at the time got pregnant, we got into an argument, as young children happen to do, and uh, we- we're on pretty good working terms now. So, we can both look back at this and see how ridiculous it was, but. She called my dad and told me she was and told him that she was pregnant. And as I got home from work, the conversation ensued. And and I, and I just talked to my pastor about this a few weeks ago. I haven't really unhashed a lot of this for a long time. You know, I haven't really thought about it, um, but I do remember his exact words. And he said, if you're going to go do things that men do, you're going to go be a man. And the next week I had my own duplex. Um, I think the rent was 400 bucks a month. I was making around maybe six to $700 a month. I was a, I was a manager at a pizza hut at 16 years old. So it shows you the level of responsibility that these corporate entities will give to children as well. Um, oh, I so mean, It, it was, could be,
0: it could be that, or maybe that you had a little, you were like for 16, you kind of had it together a little bit. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Now that I look back at it, there's no way I would have done that to me. I mean, I had <laughs> no idea what was going on, but, you know, we, we made it work. Um, at the time, I was I was in band, I was in marching band, and I had an opportunity to go to a local private school, basically fully paid for with music scholarships. But the one caveat was is that, that I had to participate in their marching band program and their orchestral programs. And what that actually means is that's your full-time job. Um, working while you're doing that was going to be, I don't know how I was going to be able to do it. Um, so I ended up not going to school. I decided to put that off. I was pretty close to signing up for the National Guard. And then once my once my son was born and he, and he was in my arms, I just, I could not. I couldn't leave. It's something that I, I don't want to say I regret, but it is something that I do value, you know, service and all that stuff. And I wish maybe I would have gone through that, but we're here there now. Um, I think I was in that duplex for about a year. Um, after I gra- I barely graduated. I didn't do any homework my second semester of high school or my senior year of high school, because I just didn't have time. I would get out of school at 3.15, and I would drive straight to work. I would try to close pretty much every day just because I got to make as much money as possible making like, it was like eight something an hour. Mm. Um, So, and I remember a a pivotal point where I I started thinking about a little bigger picture was when I got home from a Saturday night shift. It's like 2 a.m. And I pull into the driveway and before I even open my car door, I hear my son crying from the inside from the inside of the house. And at the time he had colic, if there's any parents out there, they probably know what colic is. And basically your kid is pissed all the time because he has to fart all the time. Um, that's a very non-science way to put it, but that's basically what's going on. And I just, I kind of like, I didn't break down per se, but I was like, what in the hell have I done? And I said, well, maybe I should probably get a better job than Pizza Hut, maybe more career driven. And I had no qualifications for anything. So I started working like factory jobs and stuff like that. Moved to Mississippi for maybe eight months or so. Tried to get a job at Nissan. I was told I had a job at Nissan, but when you get down there, did not have the job at Nissan. So I don't, I don't know how that got jacked up. But anyway, made it work for a little while. And we had no friends. We had family down there, but no real you know, community for support, stuff like that. So we decided to move back to Tennessee. Um, Started working at Gibson pretty soon after that. And that's where, you know, it was a cool place to work. But there was constant overtime. And when you're young, and you want to make money, whatever money you're making, you're spending. So if I'm working 40 hours a week, well, this is my money. I'm just going to blow it. Oh, well, now we can work 60 hours a week. It's like, oh, cool. I've, I have access to all this money now. I would just blow it anyway. And when the wheels started turning for like, what's the value of my time was when my son went into middle school, which is sixth grade in this area. And when he went into sixth grade, I realized that I never took a day off to go eat lunch with him. And from kindergarten to fifth grade, I never took a day off because it was, it was like that, it's just work, work, more work, more work, accrue more, buy this car, buy this house. And we kind of went through that process a few times. And it's the, I think they call it lifestyle creep, where if you make this much money, you're gonna spend like this much. And then it climbs and then it, it's never ending. And I, and at that moment, I was like, "What kind of a jerk off dad am I?" Because I felt guilty for asking for a day off, and that's when I was like, "This this can't be the long game that I'm playing." So, the wheel started to turn for that, and that's when I started doing a a real deep introspection of what are my basic needs. And what is the most fiscally responsible way to meet those needs without using um, worldly expectations as a way to, you know, guide my journey as a father or a husband or a business owner, whatever it is. And I don't even recognize that. Like, as I talk about myself, it doesn't seem real. It seems like a totally different person. Like, I can't believe that that was me.
0: And, and you know, uh, there's a lot of evolution that's, that happened in that time. So essentially 11 years. So when your, kid, your, your boy was a sixth grade, that's about 11, I'm guessing right around there. So it took yeah. until mm-hmm. that time where you were thinking, you know, that's a good amount of time. And then you hit sort of a, a point of understanding where you realize that you're trading so much of your time for money. And how can you get out of that? that rat race. And there's a book called your money or your life. Uh, I don't know if you've read uh-huh. that book, but that book essentially it, it breaks this sort of thing down where you start to look at your life. and It's made up of time and time is something you can't get back. Right. Time is like, it's a zero it's gone sum forever. <laughs> yeah. And if, if you put it into something, it's like, if that thing isn't a good thing to put it in, now you've really wasted your time, right? Not only do you not get the time back, but you did it doing something that was, that was wasteful. So, you know, I think that that 11 years in, you have this aha moment. And when you did that and you kind of were seeing that, okay, I need to spend more time with my son. What was the, that was that the action that then when you started getting into fitness and started looking at other things or how did that, what, what did you change once you realized that?
1: I would say at that point was right around the time um, where my divorce was close to being like we could speak to each other and decide how are we going to do this neither of us had money to hire attorneys and you know time heals almost everything so we were separated for i think about a year and a half before we really we really started you know outlining what what we're going to hold ourselves accountable to this is me and my ex-wife at the time so as my son graduated fifth grade, he was in a metro school in Nashville, and ne- neither of us wanted to stay in the area. And I said, well, this is, you know, we, we have to set this up long term for both of our sake and the kids sake. Um, we're, we want Isaac, which is my oldest, we want him to go back to Summer County schools, and we want him to have a fresh start in middle school. We, wanna, we don't want to change like in the middle of the school year. That's usually a pain in the butt for kids and parents. So at this point, my lease was going to be up, I think in about two months, I had, we, we had this apartment and she moved out and I was still responsible for, for this apartment. And as my son was starting sixth grade, I was I either had to find another place to live that was zoned for his school, which is, that's the only way you can get into this district is that you can't do these like Hey, do me a favor. Can my kid go to this school? Like, it's just so populated in this area, and everybody wants to live here for the same reason. Um, so, so it was that point when all these things were coming to a head. My divorce was was going to be finalized probably in the next couple of months. I was writing up all the paperwork myself, and we didn't even really have to go to court. She agreed to this. We signed it, and it was pretty beneficial for both of us, and it, and it held us accountable to those rules. Kids have to go to summer county schools, so that means that neither one of us can just up and move to wherever, and that keeps it safe for both of us. And that's when I started to realize, like, dang, I've been working my butt off for years And for what, like for what I, I had topped out at Gibson. I had topped out my pay. The only way to get more pay was to go into upper management. And if, if you're bored, you can look up glass door reviews on how upper management goes at Gibson. It's usually pretty comical. They don't stick around for very long. So I knew that wasn't an option. I was coaching CrossFit at the same time. I was coaching maybe two, maybe three nights a week. Um, so I had this thing, I was coaching, I was you know, having an impact on people and they're having an impact on me. And Ryan and I are both are trying to figure out like, how can we do this and also pay our electric bill and our mortgage and stuff? And I said, there has got to be a way. And that's when I started thinking, well, if I have no personal debt, credit card, cars, house, whatever, um, that means I don't have to make that much money. It sounds like a sounds like a ridiculous idea, but it's pretty basic. Um, if I don't, if I have a thousand dollar mortgage as opposed to a three thousand dollar mortgage, well, that's two thousand dollars that I don't have to make to fulfill my needs for shelter. You know, I'm trying to break it down to its absolute, like, foundational base, like four walls, a roof, running water, and a toilet. Like all these things we need. Um, But how can I make the financial obligation of those things as little as possible? So maybe I don't have to worry about working 10 hours overtime or feeling guilty about taking a day off to go eat lunch with my kids. Um, If I can reduce my financial obligation and only make, like, what if I only made $20,000 a year? What would I have to like, what could I get for that? And it can definitely be done. Um, I think, it seems like a lot of us, even, even now as gym owners, there's a lot of talk of like gym owners should be paying this or should be making this. And I agree. We are way undervalued for the work that we do. We're changing lives on the daily. You can't force people to value that, but I'm not going to wait around and like, I'm not doing this unless I can make six figures. Like I honestly don't care about any of that. Um, At almost any point during the day, if my kids need me or my wife needs me, I don't have to ask for permission for anyone. And if that means that I don't have to get caught up in making 70, 80, whatever thousand dollars a year, if I can do that and make whatever I need to make, that's good enough for me because I've seen the other end of it. I was making really good money at Gibson, almost unlimited overtime there towards the end. And it's like, it's like cocaine. It's like, Hey, here you go. It's free overtime, whatever you want. And yeah, you're bringing home money. You don't have time to spend it. And then when you want to have time to spend it, you feel guilty for taking off anyway. Um, I've been at this point for close to three years and we have probably, I guess I would be full-time Kelsey, our other coach, Um, she's been active with level methods stuff. She's our programming director. Um, both of us make decent money and we have so much time, so much time to our hands. You know, we just, I just took a, like a five day weekend in a couple of weeks, she'll be, she'll be gone for a week. And we have this kind of shared perspective that she kind of, I've just shared with her. it's like, don't, don't think about making more money per class you coach. Like, because then you're just going to be in this game of like, well, if I coach all the classes, literally every class, and I'm getting paid this much, ceiling, there's nowhere to go from that. There's absolutely nowhere to go. And I saw that whole strength, and I have to credit Ryan, we uh we figured all this stuff out the hard way, and you know neither of us were greatly prepared for. Kind of transitioning into that space, um, I think both of us are doing extremely well now, and I've learned so much from him and his experience and his shared failures and both of our failures. Um, but I think, like you said earlier, like these these things have to happen in order to get to this point.
0: Um, so yeah. At Level Method, we're constantly searching for ways to make your life as a gym owner easier. And that's why we created our social media service that makes you look like you're putting in tons of hours or paying someone an arm and a leg. Get six professional themed text and image posts each week, four weeks at a time. Check out levelmethod.com social for more info. A couple things. Um, this is a, a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, which is money, not in the sense I'm going to make a million dollars, but figuring out how to get freedom. How do you get more freedom? And there's a book called along the same line, anybody that's listening to this, that's interested in sort of like financial freedom ideas, your money or your life is really good, but there's another not very well-known book. This is sort of like in the you know the back room of the of the bookstore, uh, and it's early <laughs> retirement extreme. So early retirement okay. extreme, and there's a, it's actually there's a website you can go check it out. Um, but this guy was like a physicist, and he's like super smart dude, and he has all this these these economic theories and stuff. But essentially, the whole idea is to make as much money as possible, but spend as little as possible. And even in a regular job. You you make if you can reduce your expenses low enough, you can essentially retire early retirement extreme. It's the idea is that you need 25 years of your yearly expenses to be able to live indefinitely. So once you get to that point, you can then live forever. You don't ever ever have to worry it. So worry about it. So the less you have in terms of expenses, the faster you can get to that number, right? So you right. got to get to that number and then you can live forever. And, and that's a that's a world that I've always been very interested in because um, I'm really personally very much about uh, autonomy. I like the idea of not having to, you know, I was in the army. So it, I, I learned the hard <laughs> way about how like, okay, authority and all this. And I had some experiences um, and I learned that I just, I needed to be on my own. And so I think this is It's a very interesting topic to me um, because I think that people get wrapped up in this idea of needing to make more money and consumerism of continuously needing to buy more stuff. I got to have this new thing as opposed to maybe fixing something that's broken and, you know, like you go and learn how to fix it and then you have it for another three years and how much would it have cost if you had bought a new thing? So, um, wh- when you, you brought, did you bring these ideas with you? Like when you opened the gym, were you thinking from like more of a, it, so, it, oh, I'm get, kind of getting all crazy here because this is, this is exciting to me, but frugality. <laughs> so in, in level method, we have, we used to have the, uh, one of our, uh, um uh, main like tenants. Was frugality, but we change it to thrifty, being thrifty. So we're thrifty. We're not necessarily frugal because frugal has more to do only with money, but uh, being thrifty has to do with time, resources, and all those sorts of things. So kind of going through your experiences, and you know, you come out the other end. You've learned all these things. You've learned how how valuable your time is. What did you do, or did you do anything different when you opened your gym in terms of like all the equipment? Or like, did you, you know, you didn't just go b- put everything on a credit card, right? For a hundred grand. And then, you know, so it's like, yeah. <laughs> how, how did that all look for you? And how did that work?
1: The, the gym is an extension of my personal framework. There's no point. There is absolutely no point in starting a business or a hobby or, or any activity, relationship, anything, unless it fits within the framework if it doesn't i'm not interested um that can make it difficult to make friends it can make it difficult to keep friends sometimes um but and this is something where you know people think they have to have every toy in the gym and every dumb like 10 of each dumbbell a hundred of each plate and very specifically, I think it was around thirteen thousand dollars. I don't even know if I was going to make this work. I was checking Craigslist. I was talking to commercial real estate agents about, and I, because I went through this on the periphery with Ryan, and without sharing like too much information, I learned that there are certain things you don't want to do, and and I know that it's a common business coaching point that says like, sometimes your debt can work for you for like tax benefits and stuff like that. I didn't want to get into the minutiae of that at all. I want zero debt. So I'll share some numbers. I found this. I finally, I looked at two properties and it was going to cost roughly $10,000 just to move into the building. First and last month's rent, certain type of insurance and you know, common area maintenance and all this crap that was just like, it was really disheartening. I was like, there's, how am I going to do this? Uh, I have a few barbells. I have a few plates for like maybe a personal training session, but not a class. And I knew that I got to, I want to be able to at least coach like a four or a five person class. So I started doing that out of my garage and I had maybe six or seven people come into my garage. They're paying me a hundred dollars a month. And we all knew, Hey, the goal is to get into a commercial spot so we can grow this thing and make it official, make it a big community and all this stuff. And uh, one day I'm at Gibson, you know, just, I got my podcast going. I'm just scrolling. And I see this, this ad, it says, what did it say? It said three big Bay doors, 2,400 square foot commercial. That's all it said. That's all the ad said. Perfect. I I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Um, So I went down and looked at it and it was, it was, it's literally three quarters of a mile from my house. It's about, it's less than a quarter mile from my kid's school. And um, it was a crap hole. It was an old body shop maintenance, something or other. They had a paint booth in there. um, And, the, the rent was so ungodly cheap. Um, the concrete floor was, it was a little, it's got some slants, the barbells roll a little bit in areas. We're talking maybe 75%. No, not even that. It's, let's do the math here. If I were to move out to a, a similar place in square footage into another area of a town, my rent would quadruple, mm. quadruple. So all I had to do is pay for, um, and I worked out a deal with him. If, if you're interested in starting a gym, you can work out all kinds of deals. Whatever it says in the paper, just throw it out the window. You can work out all kinds of stuff. I told the guys, like, I'll pay you two months of rent up front if I can have two months of rent for free after. So basically, I move in in November. I don't have to pay rent again until, I think, April 1st. So that that brings me down to. I think it was somewhere around seven thousand bucks, and I told myself I am not going into debt, period. I don't care what it what it. I don't care how minimal my setup is, but twenty four hundred square foot. There's let's say about this much. I had about this much of it with rubber flooring. The rest of it was concrete. I bought eight barbells and. I would say about 10 or 12 plates, uh, 10 or 12, 45s, 25s, 15s, 10s, you know, and I had two squat stands and that was it. Welcome to CrossFit Gallatin.
0: Well, you know, there's, I think there's a huge lesson in terms of like making your dreams come true and holding to your own personal standards right yeah. so the, the 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 personal law that you had the was framework. not going yeah. into debt right like i think that that's a so i was at one point about 18 grand in credit card debt that i had accumulated uh just over years i i got so wow. similar similar well not really so when i opened my first gym i bought me and sean bought a gym from uh lamar who owned uh next uh, crossfit uh next level performance. And Mm -hmm. then we immediately moved to this massive gym. And then simultaneously, I'm like, I got a good idea. I'm going to go rent an apartment. And so then I'm paying like 1500 a month because it's in Southern California, you know, it's super expensive. And I just accumulated all this debt and then went through the phase of, you know, basically just paying everything off. I lived in a van for a while. I did all this stuff to get, and I lived in the back of the gym and poured everything in to get myself out of debt. And at that point I realized I never wanna be in debt again. It's, a, it's a, a terrible thing because to even get to zero, you've gotta you know make a whole bunch of money that's going to this thing. So it's much better just to start at zero and stay there. So I, mm-hmm. I totally resonate with the idea of refusing to go into debt. But I think a lot of people find it much easier to just load up with you know credit cards and all, we'll pay it back later. And then you kind of live with this additional stress about how you're gonna do this and what are you gonna do? And it, it, when when we're stressed in general, it limits creativity. It limits you know freedom because you still have this thing in the back of your mind all the time. Yeah. So, you know, you you open your gym, you. It, bootstrap it right and then you it's day one you're going what was the time frame for you to sort of get up and running like in terms of like your systems and how you manage people and all of that like what did that look like for you because it I mean we're, we're kind of depending on you know we got a lot of different sorts of people that listen to this I think it's just it's an interesting frame, because we have all sorts of different people that start their gyms in different ways. Some people like they've got money to start with, and it's no problem. Other people don't have those resources. So they got to make it happen. And I think that it's an inspiring story to hear, you know, seven grand, you started your gym. That's like, who you don't really have an excuse, right? (laughs) Who has an excuse? Technic. uh, So I had that money
1: left over. And I knew that I needed, I needed to add four more members to be um, profitable. We have never, ever been in the red, ever. Um, Depressive. And that's, and that's uh, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not touting my own horn, but the reason why is because I held fast to that framework. Mm-hmm. I was not going to budge, not for any expectation. There's a gym down the road from us, CrossFit Hendersonville, an amazing gym, amazing. Like 8,000 square feet, every toy you can think of. So that was like our only competition. The people that run that gym are on the ball. And here I am, I've got a couple of squat stands and we, we officially, uh, uh, I signed the lease mid-November. It took me all of November and December just to clean it up. Um, there was, I would say 50% of the light fixtures, didn't even work. Um, I had to paint and then I had to repaint because all the oil from all this crap that had built up, it just ruined the paint. So I had to prime it with some good primer and then paint it. And we rubberized half of the floor. We had two sets of squat stands, eight barbells, a decent amount of plates for like a five, six person class. I had five or six people coming to my garage and then January 1st, 2018, we started going to this place and we were Terraform strength and conditioning. We weren't even a CrossFit gym. I couldn't afford the affiliate fee. Um, But we were doing CrossFit. Everybody knows how that is. Even the gyms that say they're not doing CrossFit, they're probably doing CrossFit, pretty close to it. Um, But, you know, whatever way you want to go with it, if you don't want to pay an affiliate fee, all that stuff, that was $3,000 that I didn't have to pay, but I knew I wanted to coach people. Um, I think by... I think by March we had like 12 or 15 people um I'm horrible still am horrible at like lead generation and all those things mainly because when I hit a certain point where my needs are met and I'm also getting a fulfilling experience out of life I check out pretty easy um So I was still working at Gibson at the time. So I had a 5 a.m. class and a 5 p.m. and a 6 p.m. Coach the 5 a.m. Yeah. So get ready. I coach the 5 a.m. At 6 a.m. I'm literally pushing people out the door because I have to drive to Nashville in an hour. And it's about, I think it was 48 miles one way. Nashville traffic is absurd. So every day it's basically a roll of the dice to see if I'm going to get to work on time. As soon as I get off work, I come home. I pick up the kids from whatever after-school care thing is going on, and I immediately—I don't even have time to go to home. I go straight to the gym. I coach the 5 p.m., and I coach the 6 p.m. I did that every day, every week. I, well, I did that every day, every week for about a year. But I, I ended up quitting Gibson June 1st. So I did that full-time gig and running the gym for about six months solid. And that's when I'm starting to be like, look, something, something has to give. I feel like I don't even know what's going on half the time because my brain and my body is just, it's like decomposing before my eyes. Um, so <laughs> the summer comes and if you have young kids, you also know how expensive summer care is. So it was either pay roughly 250 bucks to $300 a week to put my youngest two in summer care or I open up my own summer camp. And that is literally what I did. um, In a a matter of, I wanted to say I actually ran a Facebook ad. I think that was probably early May. And once again, I knew that I needed to supplement my income probably close to around six to $700 a week in, in order for me to be meeting my needs, so to speak, that Gibson was providing. Um, I, was, I had some serious overtime opportunities, but I was no longer taking those because I was running a gym, you know. So originally I was going to do this summer camp for a couple weeks, and you could sign up for week one or week two. And I think I had like seven or eight kids sign up for week one, three or four kids sign up for week two. So we do week one, and week, week one is wrapping up week two comes along everybody from week one wants to keep coming you know i think i was charging maybe 120 a week for a kid and we were doing like from 9 a.m to 3 a.m we would do like three workouts activities a day it was basically middle school age
0: 9 a.m to 3 p.m yes okay that's like 3 okay. a.m <laughs> yeah, i was like,
1: dang. <laughs> No, 9am to 3pm. So we would have like our first workout at nine. But some kids did they get there at 6am. So I was coaching from 5am. I had the 5am class and then I have two or three kids get dropped off around 6am. We wouldn't start doing, you know, structured things until nine. We took a lunch break and all that stuff. Most of the like, you know, regimented protocol was over by three. And then I was basically just hanging out till my 5 p.m. class started. So I was literally at the gym from about 4.30 a.m. to about 8 p.m. every weekday in the middle of summer with a bunch of middle school kids, teaching them how to power lift. We weren't doing like crazy, like Olympic weightlifting or anything. We were doing like deadlifts, a little bit of bench press, um, some interval type stuff, gymnastic stuff. Um, But like I said before, the first group of kids kept like re-upping, so we ended up doing it for two months, and just being completely honest, I probably had too many kids in there, there towards the end of it, I think I had maybe 13 or 14 kids, plus my own, hanging out at the gym, working out, you know, just having a blast. And then summer camp was over. And at that time, you know, we're getting members at the gym and I have a little intro process that I was doing at the time. So it was it was making me enough money to provide for my needs and all my personal obligations that I set for myself were also being met. So things were busy, but pretty good there towards, I guess, August. You know, no. school started up, things slowed down. And then I was like, okay, I am breathe now.
0: <laughs> it's it's interesting because it makes me think of the, that uh, quote. Uh, I don't even know who said it, but necessity is the mother of invention, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, it's like, this is an entrepreneurial, like 101, right? You, you have a problem yeah. and you're like, okay, I either pay 1200 bucks a month for my kid Or I have everybody else pay me and my kid's basically good to go. So it's just, it's a pretty, it's a pretty awesome solution to that problem.
1: I thought it was, uh, and it, it just comes down, it's exactly what you said is like, you have to get to the root of the problem. Almost all of these problems that we deal with now are so, they're so top level and they're almost like ideas that we that are fun to talk about. They're fun to argue about. They're fun to uh, belittle other people about their positions on these problems. But most of the time, all the stuff is made up. All the uh, all the dilemmas, all the you know, it's we've created most of our own problems. So if I go back to just focusing on the very like foundational problems of being a parent and being a husband and th- th- those, if, if I operate a certain way with those problems, why wouldn't those practices translate to other areas of my life? And it's especially for consistency sake, you don't have to turn anything on or off. It's just, this is how I operate, whether it's personal or business or whatever. And it's, it's very liberating. And I don't, have to, um, I don't have to modify certain things. It's just, we set this up years ago and this is how we operate. And it's, it's worked out really well.
0: Yeah, so, you know, tell me now the gym's been, you know, you've, you've had time to really work out kinks, get things operating. And at what point did you bring Level Method into the mix? Right. Um,
1: I would say we were open for a year, and then that's when Kelsey, our, basically our programming director, basically head coach now, she started an internship, which was a requirement for school. She was going to school for um, exercise science degree and all this, um, and at the time, I think, I think Ryan had started doing level method shortly after her internship. And I would see his content, like level up this, and I was like, hey, man, what's this all about? And we started talking about it, and Kelsey had been interning with us for about three months. Um, Ryan provided his internship framework that he used at the gym, and I basically ripped off of that completely um, because it looked like a solid system, and it, it basically, you know, her internship only required her to do a few hours of work for a couple of weeks for the entire semester. And I told her, I'm not interested in that. I'm, what I am interested in is bringing on a committed coaching partner that's bought into the ethos of this gym and all this fancy stuff. And Luckily, you know she's she's 19 at the time. She don't know what the heck is going on, and she's like, "Hey, this is cool. This might be an opportunity for me instead of just like fulfilling an internship." So we we were we were a few months into the internship, and then I hear about Level Method. I'm pretty sure her and I started testing ourselves, going through the e-learning. This is the old version of e-learning really extensive, and I was like, man, this is top-notch. This is good stuff, and we kind of created some mystery around what we're going to be doing soon, and I think you guys even uh, encouraged that. It was probably from the time I had my first call with, it might have been you, I don't remember, from the time I had my first call with Level Method to about two months later, we had introduced it to the gym and we were a newer gym so I know that sometimes older establishments that are a little hesitant about bringing on something new they can run into some trouble with buy-in with members and stuff but I firmly believe if you get your coaches on board and you understand what you're trying to do with this system you know creating powerful moments and all these things it seemed like it was way more than just like, without mentioning specific names, just signing up for for a programming service, mm-hmm. and that's always been really interesting to me. Whenever I, uh, you know, totally hit the reset button on life, I was like, like, what is the bigger picture for all of these things? We uh, we we went through testing ourselves, and we got our overall levels, and then we did kind of the global assessment type implementation. With the gym. And we had, I would say 90% of people were super excited about it, mainly because Kelsey and I were also excited about it. We were excited about it before they were, and we were committed. We were bought in, and hey, we're going to do things this way. We did have a couple of members that were from another gym that had recently come to our gym that were hesitant in the beginning, but After probably after that first week of doing assessments, they were all converted. They loved it because it it was it was that mentality of like, you know, some people will never uh, I hate to say never, but the likelihood that some people will never RX a workout Mm -hmm. is pretty high. And, you know, I was I mean, I was kind of a skinny guy. I could move around on the bar a lot. I, I couldn't lift a whole lot of weight. But I would say that I was in pretty dang good shape, and I would say, you know, I didn't have to lose 100 pounds to gain a bunch of capacity. So there's a lot of people out there that there's a lot of work involved to just show up to the gym and do, like, box push-ups, you know. So it gave those people that were really struggling with just, like, basic movements, like, we could work out together side by side. Like, man, that was a doozy. You know, yeah. I'm over here, I'm over here doing brown, and this lady over here doing yellow. We're both killing it. We're both sweating our, our butts off. And that I hate, I hate the word inclusion, <laughs> but but it is very applicable to this whole scenario. And I have members at the gym that drop in to other gyms that have they, they the only experience they have is level method. And then they'll drop into a gym that doesn't do level method, and they're like, "What the hell is this? It's just chaos,
0: yeah.
1: and it's it's insanity." And I look back now, and I'm like, "Golly, it was so much work as a gym owner, you know, you know, trying to create programs that are periodized in a way that are fun, that are engaging, that um, encourage progress." And it's just like that's like when I was talking to Sean, when when we were onboarded, we you could become a level method gym, but all, but like not do the programming. Mm-hmm. And I was telling Sean, and and he and he told me after I was like, I don't think you should be allowed to be a level method gym unless you do the programming. It's just asinine to me. Like what for? Um, and he said, well, actually, now that's kind of the thing. I was like, good, because even because I know a lot of coaches get really hung up and prideful about their programming and because it's kind of like their identity and I was ready to outsource that really early on because I didn't I didn't wrap up my identity with like how many sets and reps I wrote down on the board that's not what it was about to me it was about staying after class and talking to A lady who has never done a push-up in her life and she feels like she can't keep up with her kids and she feels like maybe she's not the best wife to her husband or maybe she's not the best employee to her company and that's that's what makes you a coach um the the programming works i know for a fact it works because i'm in the best shape of my life and i've been doing this for a long ass time And I have people in the gym that have been doing CrossFit for longer than me. And they are in the best shape of their life because of level method programming. And especially now with the incorporation of chip, we don't even have to do anything. Um, our coach Kelsey, she does a Facebook live every Sunday afternoon. It's about eight to 10 minutes and it goes over basically what you do, you know, and kind of the monthly thing. So that it promotes some engagement from our Facebook community and, The coaching notes are in chip. If there's any question, a lot of times they don't even ask me because the answer is in the coaching notes. So then we go all the way, but we make a big circle and we talk about time Mm -hmm. and it's just so much that I don't have to worry about. It's just all done. And it's done for my coaches. It allows my coaches to have, you know, the opportunity to have those coaching moments without being, you know, well, how am I going to scale these pull-ups for this person today? It's done. You don't have to think about it. And it, and it provides a more personal opportunity instead of the math of doing a good workout. You know, I have to yeah. thank you for that.
0: The Chocket Pro app will help build your bottom line and save you time every week on your business systems. Leverage their technology to add more personal training and remote coaching clients. Build on your community culture through social engagement and efficiently manage your time spent programming. Do all of this with one app, not three or four. Chocolate Pro is designed and built by gym owners to help gym owners. Find out more information at chocolatepro.com. Yeah, well, you know, there's a couple things here. Number one is we have, you know, a number of gyms in the Legion, right? We're like right around 200 at this point. And there are varying degrees with which people have integrated and used the level method. And your gym, you're in the top, you know, 5%. You're like, you guys are way up there. You do everything really well. Power of moments is on point. The systems are in place. And, you know, you had mentioned, the, you know, time, being able to save time and those systems and structures. And that's one of the things that we do like to make sure that we give gyms, but so many people don't use the systems. So, so, I mean, cause there is quite a lot. And this is something we've run into is the complexity sometimes of what we provide. I mean, I mean complexity in there are many different tools. We got the success plans, we got the onboarding system. There's like all these different things, the programming and everything. So, you know, when you're looking at, as from a gym owner standpoint and you can sort of plug and play Um, you have specifically, you have changed little things to fit how you do things. And I think that a lot of people sometimes think that that's not allowed or that you shouldn't be doing that. But I mean, that is totally how it should be. It should be tweaked. So tell us a little bit about like your view on taking systems, but then modifying them or adjusting them based on how you see things should be in your culture or your community.
1: Right. I know that we have done the, just very specifically, we've done the global assessments um, twice. The first, so we had the initial global assessment just for being the new gym. And then I know that Level Method does it periodically throughout the year, maybe like once a quarter-ish. And usually it's three weeks of assessment. Um, for us, the, the three times that we did it that way, Typically, by the middle of the second week, we're seeing attendance drop off, um, especially if yeah, there's two options. Like, if the first week they, you have somebody that levels up a lot, and then we're testing the same thing the next couple of weeks, but they're in different order because some people come on different days, it makes sense. But for us, we were seeing attendance come down. People were not getting as excited about testing. And just the overall excitement about seeing where you are again was not sustaining through the burnout. three weeks. It's a little burnout. And, and honestly, from a coach's aspect and approving levels, getting pictures and all that stuff, it's a lot of work. Uh, Kelsey is just, she's phenomenal at doing this. And, and I think that once we, changed that system a little bit. It started to work even better. So what we do is we do a week of testing and then we do a week of regular programming and then we do another week of testing and then we're done. Um, We have competitions for who has the biggest single category level up Mm. and then biggest overall level up. It's it's like a gift card to a local restaurant here in town. Um, So it keeps people wanting to level up. And it's like, like me, I've recently hit, I've recently hit red one in squat endurance and nice. I think front squat. And honestly, if I, if I had to pick those things, I get more fired up about than testing lactic tolerance again, <laughs> or the rowing test. The rowing test is horrendous. That's just, it's just not my thing, but that's okay. Um, but by changing that little, it's just a little tweak. And I think we've been doing that the last three times that level method has done their global assessment. Um, when, when all, when every, when the world shut down and quarantine hit us, uh, here in Tennessee, we were shut down for about two months. Some places are shut down for a year. And with the programming that you guys put out, that was body weight centric, um, I'm wanting to say that we used most of that programming, and for some people, um, I loaned out everything in the gym. I emptied the gym. We had no barbells, plates, rowers, everything. I loaned it all out. So for the people that wanted to you know, get some heavy lifts in, we were able to just go into that spreadsheet, and what we would do is we would copy all the levels. We would put it into Wattify, that's what we were using, and people knew what level they needed to do, and they would post in a Facebook group. We would do a few Zoom classes. Those never really took off. It was weird, Um, but we could modify all those things. Um, I think the level method uh, onboarding process that you guys have listed, I'm pretty sure we do those pretty close to how it's written. We have kind of a S.O.P. that we do with the little uh, clipboard and we have levels that way, if someone else needs to take an intro session, we can just take the clipboard for that person and we can write stuff down as we're going, then we can get an overall level. Um, I know there's way more opportunities that you guys have laid out in all of the level, met, like the, sec- the success stuff, all those things that we haven't utilized um mainly because going back to what i was saying before once i hit a place where it's got a good flow i don't really want to mess it up too much um not that it would um but well, you don't want to mess up it
0: that, and that totally
1: makes sense needs are being met and i would say probably now in the past month or so i've kind of got this new fire about me for <laughs> the next level for what business ownership, personal development, whatever that is, I'm not sure what it is, um, but it's definitely there. And I, and I need to use the resources that you guys provide maybe a little better.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think like the success of Level Method, it all comes back to the leadership, right? It's always a reflection of leadership in the gym, the coaches, how bought in people are with the processes. And uh, the systems are in the same way. So we have different systems. And once you see it in practice, so if you do a success plan, you see it in practice and you see the power of it, then you can kind of get excited about it, maybe play with it a little bit, see how it would work. But again, it's all like customizable this is the thing is mm-hmm. like you can use this or parts of this or take that you know because the the way people onboard gyms or onboard new clients the way gyms onboard new clients um it varies right and we have different again different ways of doing these things but I think that the systemization aspect is the key and that's one thing uh, with love method that we're very big on is figuring out what we can give in terms of systems to make life just easier to save time and to do all those things. And I'm I'm kind of making this a, a pitch about level method. Most people listening to this probably are already already doing level method. so I'm okay with it, man. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, I mean, I think we've covered a lot of awesome stuff, man. I think like your journey is a very unique one and uh, it's awesome to see, you know, just but you can make it work, right. Even with a a small budget. And now if anybody looks at your gym, I'm sure they, it doesn't seem like that's how the gym started. Like that video that you guys did, you did a series of videos. Uh, I mean, they're, these are amazing. Like the gym looks incredible and like the people are super excited and, uh, it's very cool to see. So, you know, wrapping this up, any, uh, you know, thoughts for a gym owner, um, who's maybe having some Uh, I won't say struggling, but maybe with the level method or in, in gym ownership, like where they should, how they should take a step back or what they should do in order to figure out what they really want. That's something that we've talked a lot about is sort of the requirements for your life and your gym and knowing what that is. And where would someone sort of, what, what advice do you have for somebody?
1: I know that figuring out, you know, what you want can be really tricky Especially because most of us draw what we think we want or need from, you know, our immediate circle—whether it be friends, uh, parents, siblings, coworkers—they they infer their needs and wants onto us, and we don't even realize it. And we we adopt we adopt other people's principles because we. We think it will work and we think it will feed our needs, but maybe if there's something in your mind that you feel guilty that you can't do, what would enable you to be able to do that and live with, I don't wanna say no stress, but I am able, I'm able to do almost anything I want to do any point in time so and and I can only do that because I have an absolutely amazing team that have bought into the same principles because these conversations that we're having right now I know people get sick and tired of it in my own but I am super and sometimes I feel like I'm by myself like am I the crazy one but I know that Kelsey has seen what I'm able to do, and I want her to be able to do those things. I want Shelby and Aaron to be able to do those things. And it's, it's kind of like a constant running conversation. What do you want out of this life? And what, what is the uh, minimal viable product for being able to implement that whole thing? And right now I live in a house that was built in 1972. Uh, you see that flooring?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that that's my the rest of my house is subfloor uh that table this kitchen table it's it's like a 300 hundred dollar amazon table i have not had a kitchen table in four years because i don't give a shit about kitchen (laughs) tables i don't i don't i just don't care about all these things but you know we get caught up in you know come comparatives to other people Mm -hmm. and what i do want is be able to wake up take my kids to school in a low stress way. We get up, we eat breakfast, we chit chat, we go off to school. I go coach some PT clients. Maybe I coach class. Maybe I don't. Maybe I don't coach class all week. Maybe Kelsey handles it. And then maybe I give her a break next week. I get to go to every football game my kid has. I get to go to every uh, track meet. I get to go to every art show because I know what I want. And it's that time. I want that absolute sovereign time and if that means that you know maybe we don't have three afternoon classes maybe we only have two right now we have one because our 5 a.m and our 7 a.m class are bumping and we were having you know six to eight people in our afternoon class so we combine the 5 and the 6 p.m to a 5 30 and now sometimes we get 8 to 10 maybe 12 it's still really doable and guess what it's one hour out of the afternoon rather than two and if you if you talk like this around your members, they'll also see what's going on because I, I talk about this stuff all the time because it's so important not just for a gym owner but just for a person, especially first world people that get to do all these fancy things, but most of them turn into handcuffs, mm-hmm. and they just get stuck with it. So figure out exactly what you want, figure out how to provide the basic level of needs, not America's version of needs. And then it it frees up so much resources, time and money are the two that really seem to matter the most. I just leave it at that.
0: I love it, dude. That is a a great place to step off. And uh, I want to thank you so much, man, for sharing your wisdom and your experiences. Um, And I'm sure we'll be in touch. We'll keep it moving forward. Thanks so much. Yeah, man.
1: Thanks, bud. Appreciate it.
0: Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Gym Mastery Podcast. If you know someone who might like it, please share it with them. And if you're a gym owner wondering about the Level Method, uh, in a nutshell, it's a step-by-step fitness progression system that's fun engaging, and easy to use so that regular folks in your gym can reach their fitness goals safer and faster than ever before and become raving fans of your gym. If that sounds interesting, please go to levelmethod.com to get in touch with us. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.